Hallelujah. <laughs> Always good to be here and uh, enjoy uh, just the warmth of this church. And we, of course, love your pastors and and uh, they have uh, their dear friends. And uh, we're so grateful for the partnership and ministry and, and meeting as we did in uh, in that master's program. And uh, Pastor Courtney and I had a lot of uh, vibrant exchanges, some uh, really deep theological and some just kind of goofy. And uh, so uh, just enjoyed that, uh, that time together, learning together and, um, and our, uh, building on our friendship. So, um, but it's always good to, to be here. Uh, we love this church. And uh, it's the first time that my wife has had the opportunity to, to travel with me here. So I appreciate, uh, Pastor, you uh, honoring her and uh, int- introducing her today. So um, I have a lot to talk about. I don't know that that's, I, I know that you have a pastor who has that same challenge. So, um, um, so I'm going to get right to it today. Are we, do we have the, is the PowerPoint coming up, working? Okay. Oh, oh there it is. So we're going to talk about building Jesus reflecting and spirit enabled community today. So we're going to talk about relationships. How many of you are excited about that? So yesterday you had a bunch of you gathered together and had a marriage workshop. Is that what I understand? So you worked on marriage relationships. Today we're going to talk about just relationships in the body of Christ. So uh, how many of you know that relationships are hard? Yes. Right? You've experienced that. So Pamela and I just did Passover, our 40th wedding anniversary. And um, that has been just blissful from day one. It's just no problems, no challenges. No, it's relationships are hard work, right? Because as people with flaws and, and challenges of their own and trying to live together in a marriage relationship is difficult. Trying to live together as a church family is difficult. And that's what I want to challenge you through the scripture today to talk about um, our, our relationships in the body of Christ how we are connected to, to each other, how that we build on those relationships. We want Jesus reflecting relationships so that our, our relationships in the body of Christ are reflecting well on, and honoring Jesus, right? So the model of, of, that he set for us. But we also want to build those kind of relationships and trust in the Holy Spirit enabling us to do more than what we could do in our own strength. How many of you know we need a little bit more of that, right? So we're going to start out in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, and read the first four verses together. So uh, Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and it reads like this. It says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And Father, we bow our hearts before you now in humble submission to the work of your spirit and the present active uh, work of your, your word, your truth in our souls. We pray that you would challenge us, that you would, you would convert us from, uh, from ways of thinking and behaving 
that are not honoring to you or that do not move us further forward in your purposes. And so we submit ourselves, Lord, to the instructions and counsels of your word. May you strengthen our faith as we take steps of obedience to live in what you have commanded us. And we ask this all in Christ's mighty name. Amen. Amen. The word if that Paul starts out this passage, I didn't continue flipping the screen, did I? I'm not used to controlling it myself, so <laughs> this is going to be interesting. So, uh, but uh, yeah, so we should probably start there. So the, the word, uh, therefore, if there is any consolation, the Apostle Paul's not saying this might have happened to you. Mm-hmm. We could really substitute the word if there with sense, because all of us have received those things from Christ that he has delivered into our lives the consolation of Christ, the comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, affection, and mercy. So we have all received, at, at, at varying degrees in our lives, we have all received those from Jesus, yes? Right? So he is making a case that these things are true, and so it could start out by saying, since we have these things, God's provisions are without limit, Yes? But the reality is, is that we as human beings, we have limited resources, right? So God pours out of his goodness and his kindness, and he gives what we need. He gives us things that we need for our, to, to be able to thrive in life. So that consolation, that encouragement, that comfort, the mercy, the love, all of that comes to us. But then he says, Paul is instructing us here. He says, you've received these things. Now give these things, yeah. right? So Jesus set the same principle of like freely you have what? You have received, and so do what with that? Keep hoarding it for yourself, right? Keep getting more and more and more of that stuff, right? No, Jesus says, freely you have received, so now freely give, right? So Paul's giving the same principle here in saying, you have received these things from Christ, so now give them away to others, right? So these kindnesses of encouragement, comfort, affection, companionship, and mercy, give out of what you've been given. The, uh, we, we know the golden rule, which is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so that's a uniformity of treatment, right? So I'm going to treat other people in the way that I would want to be treated. So there's an equality of that exchange. If I want, to be, I want you to be kind to me, what do I need to be to you? Right? If I want you to be generous with me, then, right, how do I need to be toward you? So that's the golden rule. It's an equality or uniformity of treatment. But I want to, I want to encourage you from this passage in Philippians to, talk, to think about the replication rule. And that is where we have received these things from Christ. Do for others those things which have been done for you. That's a kingdom principle as much as the golden rule is that there are things that have been done for us, there have been things that, that, ha, that God has provided for us, or that other people have invested and done in our lives. Paul, in I think it's in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, talks about the work of disciple-making, and he says, this, and he, he's, commi- he's commending and, and encouraging Timothy, his son in the Lord. He says, the things that you've heard me say and you th- you've watched me do, now he says, you commit those same things into faithful people 
who will do likewise. So he talks about like three generations of this movement of disciple-making. You've received something from me, Timothy. You've heard me speak. You've, you've heard me counsel. You've, you've watched my faith. You've watched me face difficulties. And as you've learned those things, if you've watched that example of my life, you take and transfer those things into your life, then transfer them into the lives of others who are going to do likewise. That's how discipleship gets replicated. Does that make sense? So Paul's saying the same thing here, this, this rule of replication, that you've received these comforts, these kindnesses from Christ, replicate those into the lives of others. So now let's look back at that list again with that in mind. What does it mean? What are these heavenly provisions that have been given to us? First, we have consolation, the, the, that to be consoled, to be encouraged. How many of you could use a little bit of that in your life? Or, or better, better yet, how many of you know of people who could use a little bit of that? Right? So consolation or encouragement. The next word is comfort. That's to be supported. The, the, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the parakalitas, the, the one who comes alongside, the comforter, the person who comes alongside of us. We need that support, right? So consolation, comfort, fellowship means to be accompanied, to be provided companionship. There's nothing that's worse than having to go through things in life on your own, right? That's some of the, the major drives that we have that lead us into marriage relationships, is that we don't want to face life's ups and downs and challenges just by ourselves. We want companionship. And then the word affection, that's a demonstrated care, affection. And then the last word that he uses here is mercy, and that is an accommodation for faults. How many of you like being around people who are constantly picking out the things that you're doing wrong? They're fun to live with, aren't they? Right? I grew up in a home where there was a very critical environment, and everything that you did was criticized. Everything was scrutinized. And if you had a flaw, if you had something you did wrong, you said it wrong, you pronounced a word incorrectly, then it was corrected. Right? So it's a, it's a hostile environment. I want to live in an environment to where people are giving me mercy. Yeah. Right? That I'm not always going to get it right. I'm going to come home, and, and my wife has been gracious to me through the years, knowing the stresses and the things that I was carrying at particular points in, in life, and knowing that the way I was feeling or the way that I was responding was not just about her, but it was about these other weights and pressures, and she gave me mercy, right? There was an accommodation for faults where if I was a little short, in fact, we were driving along not long ago, and... I forget where we were coming from, but we were driving along in the car, and she something happened, and I kind of snapped. I was, I was, uh, I was what, what she said was uncharacteristically uh, short. And, um, and uh, actually, she was going to go, she was going to be traveling with me on um, the next trip that I was, a, a road trip. And she knows me well enough to know, she, she, absorbed that experience in the car as we're driving along. And then um, after a few minutes, she says, I think you need to go alone next week. <laughs> and so um, uh, <laughs> I needed a timeout. Yeah, this is what I needed. So um, 
But she knows by my personality and just the stuff that I was carrying that just like, okay, that's not, that's not normal Jack. Yeah. But she, was, she made an accommodation for a fault, which I was grateful for, but then allowed for the fact that I needed some kind of time alone to be able to get back my, get my equilibrium back, right? That's right? So, mercy. We all need mercy. These gifts provide the basis of healthy community with others. Some of you would just like to have a relationship with Jesus and leave all the people stuff alone, right? Well, you'd have to ignore a lot of the Bible in order to do that. Do you know that the Ten Commandments themselves, 60%, six of the ten, ten of the big ten relate to relationships with other people. Yes. Only four of them relate directly to our relationship with God. The Ten Commandments. So you'd have to re- remove 60% of the Ten Commandments if you wanted to just have a relationship with God and exclude people. So why are relationships so important? Why are these social relationships, why are they important to God? We have a couple of reasons. Number one that I'll share with you. First is that we are created as social people and our success as human beings biologically, psychologically, and spiritually depends on how well and deeply we connect with other human beings. Did you know that? Even your biology, your physical health is improved with stronger relationships. Yes? Psychologically, you're going to be a better person. You're going to be a healthier person if you have a healthy social relationship. Yes? And even spiritually. Jesus, or the, the scripture is chucked full of all of these examples talking about the importance of one anothering, of being in relationships with other people. And part of your spiritual growth and the health of your spirituality depends on you being in relationships, social relationships with other folks. So you can't just say, it's just me and Jesus. Sorry. Right? You have to invest in social relationships. You have to let people connect to you and you have to connect to them. If you want to be healthy in your spirituality, into your, in your biology, and your psychology. Yes? The second thing that the scripture, well, the reason the scripture emphasizes our social relationships is the primary evidence of, of the impact of redemption is not found in your ability to quote scripture. It's not that you lead mission trips to other countries or that you speak in tongues. Jesus said that the world will know you are my disciples By what? The love you have one for another. That's the mark, right? That's how the world will know. And that's not just that you all walk around like hugging on each other all the time. And so, you know, you're out there in the marketplace, that you're out there and you're just just loving, you're smiling all the time, you're so kind to each other. It's not just those outward demonstrations of love, but think about what love does. Love secures people. And and we just read this list out of Philippians chapter 2, the first first two verses. It talks about that we've received this this encouragement. We've received comfort and support. We've been accompanied. We've been given love. We've been given mercy. All of those things are the components of what love is. It's not just the demonstration of seeing, okay, well, yeah, those people are a huggy group of people over there at PCF, right? They just hug on each other. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great testimony of 
the power of the gospel in their lives? Well, it's one of the testimonies. But the fact that you are a supported people, that you are supported in your faith, that you're, that you're in an environment where when you face difficulties, you're not in those difficulties alone. Do you hear it? That when your test is being, or your faith is being tested, you're not alone in that testing. You have people who are speaking truth and life to you, who are close enough to know what you're going through. Pastor Courtney was talking about the emphasis on uh, the desire to stir up spiritual gifts in this community, for you to be speaking life to each other and ministering together or ministering to each other in the power of the Holy Spirit, using the gifts of the Spirit. And if you look at the, the, the clearest teaching in the New Testament, the clearest teaching in the New Testament on the function of spiritual gifts is 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14. Do you know what chapter 13 is? It's the love chapter, the love chapter, right? <laughs> Why did the Holy Spirit sandwich the most explicit description of the function of loving relationships in the middle of the most explicit language about the function of spiritual gifts? Why? Because love has to be the motivator. And if we love people, we're going to be accessing the spiritual gifts or the gifts of the Spirit to be able to bring about encouragement and edification of other people. Yes? So when Jesus said, the world will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another, he's not just talking about the physical demonstrations. You're a huggy group. You're people who are loving each other by supporting, bringing comfort, companioning, accompanying each other giving mercy to each other. And that you're using the gifts of the Spirit in order to build each other up in your most holy faith. Yes? Is this making sense at all? Yes. All right. So the, so the Scripture has a strong emphasis on the social relationships. Your relationships in the body of Christ matter. And, and I would add a personal observation because as Pastor Courtney said, I, I pastored a total of 25 years, two different churches, and then over a 16-year period of time, I was an area pastor, so I pastored pastors. I helped other pastors solve problems in their churches, and then when I transitioned out of pastoring, that's coming up on seven years ago, six or seven years, something like that? Wow, yeah, time flies, regardless of the amount of fun that's involved, so... Um, so when I transitioned out of pastor and I worked for our denomination uh, um, as a, a field rep. So I went as in, in our district, three different states, traveled to uh, churches. We had about 200 churches. And so I was the traveling representative for our district to go and help troubleshoot, problem solve in churches. And out of all of that experience, 25 years pastoring a local church, local churches, 16 years pastoring a group of uh, 8 to 12 different churches um, uh, as an area pastor, and then a year working in 200 churches across three states, I believe that the majority of the problems that face the local church were not from hellish, outside, in invasive work. Most of the problems that happened in church happened between people in the same local body. 
getting all picky and critical about each other. An experience I was thinking about the other day of uh, a man who is a part of our church, and we did this big outreach on Easter Sunday, and it was there's a lot of stress and pressure because we were trying to feed a bunch of people, and we had this huge outreach, and had had yeah, just it was it was great. The results were great, but the doing of an outreach like that it messes with people, right? And so he was trying to serve, and he's going to the kitchen, and he showed up at the kitchen, and this lady had gone territorial of the kitchen, right? The sister in charge of the kitchen had gone territorial on the kitchen. And so because she wouldn't let him go in the doors to be able to get the stuff that he needed to continue serving, then he got all offended, and I noticed he just disappeared after that event for a couple weeks, and I called him up and said, hey, what's going on? He says, i I don't want to be a part of a church where there's people who act like that. And so two things are going on in my head as a pastor. Number one, it's like, well, grow up, buddy, right? Get, thicken your skin a little bit because these are people, right? And when people get stressed or when, they, when, when they're under pressure, they're going to become a different kind of person. And they're not always going to be nice. So give a little mercy, for goodness sakes, Right? And I'm also thinking about the person who got territorial. It's like, this is not about you. Could you have handled that differently? To have strengthened relationships in the body. Right? So I think that the emphasis that the Bible carries on our community relationships, on our social relationships, is because people need to be better with each other. Pastor Courtney talked about the book. I'm just going to make one, because it, it's not a Bible book, so I'll just tell you that. You, some of you won't want to read it because there's not scriptures and verses in it. My current profession right now, I work with uh, schools, education groups, social workers, juvenile probation officers all across the country, and I developed a youth coaching program to help with the social and emotional development of teens. So um, that book is written to to introduce social-emotional intelligence to people who don't have faith at all. So it's filled with biblical principles, so you'll see them in there if you, if you choose to read it. You don't have to read this book, but if you want to know more about the things that, that I'm talking about today, about the strengthening our social relationships, how to have better relationships with other people, how to operate with better self-awareness of how my attitudes and emotions are impacting other people, then it would be a good read for you, all right? So end of that, all right. So um, this replication of encouragement, comfort, fellowship, affection, and mercy, is, it's, it's the core of Paul's appeal in this passage. The one thing that I think is important to, to notice from verse 2, he says, fulfill my joy by being what? like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He did not say, be like-feeling. Right? So my concern about our culture and the way that the church now is interacting with this cultural trend is that we focus so much in our culture. People in our culture are focusing so much on experiences in order to extract a feeling. 
I want to do this thing because I want to feel a certain way. And most of the time, the reason we're chasing one feeling is because we're trying to avoid this feeling. I know none of you have ever experienced that, right? So we're chasing one feeling because we're trying to avoid this one. But our culture is bent on that. Everything is about feelings. We, have a, a, we were working with a filmmaker recording a lot of our trainings for these mentor coaches we send out on school campuses. And uh, he's a great guy. He's a believer. And I love working with him. Um, but I noticed that everything that he expressed, he expressed it in the term of how he feels. I'd ask him and say, so how do you think that that recording, we'd film like four or five hours of, of uh, training and I said, so how do you, how do, how do you think that went? And he go, well, I, I feel like it was fine. I have a good feeling about that. And I, I, in my head, I'm like thinking, I didn't ask you how you felt about it. <laughs> I asked you what you thought about it. And I, and I think we're really headed in a, in, a, in a very destructive direction as a culture because of our desire to feel and to base everything on our feelings. And when you have feelings forward in our social relationships, it's super easy to get offended. Yes. We make people responsible for how I feel. And if I could give you one bit of advice, owning that your feelings are your feelings and may have nothing to do with the actions of another person is a great first step to thinking your way through what you feel. This kind of thinking allows you to manage the emotion rather than the emotion managing you. Amen. How many of you know people who are uh, highly emotional and their emotions manage them? They run their life, right? Everything is based upon how they feel at the moment and whatever they feel at the moment, that's, how, that's what they're reacting to. If they feel, and, and you can be around people who make you, or, or, or who, by their activities, cause a, a, an, an experience, an emotional experience. You can be around somebody who's super affirming, and you can feel kind of built up and encouraged, right? In the same way, you can be around somebody who's boastful and kind of rude, and you can feel, d like, demeaned, right? That you're less than them. But we have to own the fact that my feelings are my feelings. And if I'm hanging responsibility on every person for making me feel the way that I feel, then I've abdicated my control over that emotion. I've given that to somebody else. You're making me feel angry right now. Sounds like my four-year-old grandson that we spent some time with, this, right? <laughs> Everything in his life is based upon how other people, what other people are doing that makes him happy or makes him sad. And if we're not careful, we'll carry that sort of, of idea into the church. That people are responsible for how I feel. And Paul said, let this fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Yes. Right? Like-minded. That we're thinking our way through giving a context for the things that are going on. When somebody treats us in a certain way or doesn't acknowledge us, they walk through the room and they don't even make eye contact, they don't greet you, and it's like, well, what is wrong with them? Well, you don't know what they're carrying. Yes. That's right. right? 
We don't give a context to the way that people are acting by understanding what's really going on, the weights, the weights that they're carrying. And everyone does. Everyone in this room walked into this room with something. Something you're carrying. Whether it's concern for your aging parents, or it's your financial concerns, or if it's a health concern, and you don't feel right in your physical body. Everyone walked into this room carrying something. And if we're not careful, we'll start judging and criticizing other people because they're making me feel like I'm less than, than them. They're kind of stuck up. Well, maybe they're kind of absorbed in the, in the stresses that they're carrying. How about that? So that's where community puts us in close enough proximity to other people to where we can see what they're carrying, where we can help them shoulder the load, right? I saw an article um, that uh, you talk about the Amish people. How many of you have, have, have traveled like in Pennsylvania and seen the Amish communities back there? And the, you know, so the no electricity and no gas cars. It's just crazy that people could still live like that, like in this time, in this age, right? And uh, so I saw, an, I saw an article where somebody, where one of their elders was being asked by a news person. They said, so um, why don't you allow like a radio, a television, right? So that you guys can kind of keep up with what's going on in the world. And, he's, and, the, and the, this Amish elder's response was really fascinating to me because he said, he says, we would end up staying in our homes surrounded by or, or gathered around a television or a radio rather than going out and connecting with other people. How would we know what that neighbor is going through if we're just staying to ourselves? Right? We can learn a lot from that, couldn't we? Yes. And everything in our culture, I could get soapbox about this, so I need to be careful on my time. In fact, speaking of time, how are we doing on time? What time am I supposed to be done? I should ask that question. Oh, come on. You see? Sooner than that. I mean, like, reasonably, what time should I be finished? Noonish. Okay. Oh, I can get I can get done before noon. Okay, that's fine. I, I usually ask that question. It's like, what time would the children's ministry people say I should be done? <laughs> All right. Okay. So, um, yeah. So. Um, you, you, you even think about just what's gone on with streaming services and people are not even going out as much to, to theaters to get their entertainment because they have these huge TVs and surround systems and all this kind of stuff. In fact, a lot of the movies that they don't think are going to do well in box offices are, are immediately released on streaming services now because people are inclined to get off work and go home and stay home and sit in front of televisions, right? So how do, we, how do we live in community when we're not connecting with each other, spending time with each other? Does that make sense? Yes. Feelings are the new drug addiction of our culture. And as believers, we need to be attentive to what the scripture says 
be like-minded. Think the same way, right? Let the same mind be in you. All right. Um, Skipping, 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 because I do have other things I want to get to. Okay, here we go. So let's go to verse 3. Here we go. Uh, I guess I don't have it up here. So verse 3 says, let nothing be done. I kind of want to have that embroidered on the back of my um, recliner at home. Let, let nothing be done, right? <laughs> so Paul didn't stop at that, that sentence. Uh, he said, let nothing be done through conceit, right? Through conceit or selfish ambition. So selfish ambition is the desire to have things go your way to a point that you actively push against what other people want. Uh, We all have self-motivated wants, but some of those wants will compete with and work at denying the needs of others. So self-ambition, as Paul points it out here, he he describes this list of things we've received from Christ, and he wants us to live in replicative relationships. If you've received these from Jesus, since you have received those from Jesus, then give those away into the lives of others. And then he he points out the two anti Uh, community ways of living. And that's selfish ambition and conceit. So we all have our selfish needs. We all have those needs to take care of ourselves. So please take care of yourself, right? But don't take care of yourself to the point to where you lose sight of the needs of others. People need you in their life. They need you walking with them. They need you accompanying them as they go through heartache and troubles and suffering. Right? So selfish ambition is a, uh, works against the kind of community that God is calling us to. And then conceit is a motivation just to get noticed, to seek approval or admiration. We don't really need to give a lot of examples of that. I'll just point you to every social media platform <laughs> on the planet, right? So both of these motivations degrade relationships because they put the self-focused needs of one person above the needs of the community. So um, if I was going to use a term to describe a a right attitude for following Jesus and living in relationships with other people, I would call it agreeableness. So agreeableness primarily means that you're ready to say yes. Am I ready to say yes? So the first agreeableness is, are you ready to say yes to God? You remember the setting where Jesus... Uh, comes out and he sees uh, Peter and the disciples and they've just come back in from the lake all night long fishing, right? And they and the reason we call it fishing is because sometimes you all you do is fish and you never catch, right? So that you don't call it catching, you call it fishing, right? So they had gone all night fishing and they did no catching. And so Jesus shows up, and he's, it's the morning, and he tells the, to, to the Peter and the, uh, to, tells Peter and the disciples, he says, he says, "Hey, push back out your boats out into the deep water, and put your put your nets down." And Peter starts to argue with him. It's like, man, we've been at this all night long. But I love what Peter resolves to. He says, "But because you've asked, we'll do it." 
if you read the Bible, you know the rest of that story. They, they haul in a harvest of fish where their, their boats are sinking. The weight of fish that they're drawing into their boats, right? Because you've asked. I have all kinds of reasons to not invest in social relationships because I've been hurt, because it won't work, because people are stupid, because people are rude and obnoxious, because people are untrustworthy. I have all sorts of reasons to say no to God about his instructions to me about loving people, living in loving community with other people. I have all sorts of reasons to say, I've fished there, thank you very much, and I'm not going to do it again. Right? But agreeableness, yes, because you've asked me. I'll do it. What's the, what's the, what's the primary operation then? It's, it's that God is going to reinforce with strength, supernatural strength, what he's asked you to do. His commandments don't come with just this heavy weight of saying, oh, well, try this, and I hope you succeed. <laughs> no, his commandments are, I'm, I'm, I'm commanding you to do this. And if we look at, the, at the, commands, the commandments of Jesus, we often look at that passage where Jesus says, the whole law is summed up in these two things, love God and love others as you love yourself. And we go, oh, we're all just loving people. This is great. And we feel this squishy warmth of like, oh, this is wonderful, this warm coziness, because we're no longer law people. We're love people. Hallelujah. <laughs> right? But we miss the fact that Jesus said it's a command. It's a command. But when Jesus gives a command, just like he said to Peter, go push your boat out there and fish, Peter said, or he started to argue, but then came to the point of saying, because you've asked me, I'll do it. Why? Because he knew that Jesus had something involved or there would be something involved of a capacity to be able to do that thing. So when Jesus says for you to live in loving community with other people who are obnoxious and rude and difficult, he doesn't say, oh, well, I hope that works out great for you. He says, no, I'm going to supply what you need by the Holy Spirit to be able to fulfill my command, right? I'm going to give you what you need. And if you're waiting for your feelings to tell you that it's okay, to invest in community and to serve the needs of other people above yourself, you're going to wait a long time to be obedient to Jesus because your feelings won't tell you that. So agreeableness begins by agreeing with God. What's the point of God's instructions to us? He wants to lead us into the benefits and provisions of his wisdom and his promises. But the door, the access to that provision is obedience. To say, I can't do this, or I'm not ready to do this, pushes your will in front of God's commands and actually limits your access to the help that God is waiting to give you for your yes. Right? My slowness to agree with what Jesus asked of me will delay the help that he has prepared for my obedience. Some of you need to tattoo that on your arm. <laughs> right? Slowness to agree with what Jesus asks of you will delay the help he has prepared for your obedience. 
So he had the provision. He had the fish out there all alert of saying he had them all gathered together. The disciples couldn't see that, but, the, but God had, by his spirit, gathered all these fish together, and they're schooling around, and they're going, we're waiting just for the net to come down, right? Yeah. Disciples didn't know that. Peter didn't know that. But because you've asked me, Lord, and that yes, then I opened the door of access, right? Yeah. Opened the door of access to what God had already provided yeah, saying yes to him. So we read through the first four verses of Philippians chapter 2, but later in that chapter, if we go to the 12th and 13th verses, Paul continues on this subject of obedience, and he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not, only at, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In verse 13, he says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That word works means that he is energizing you. It's God who's energizing you, and he's doing it on two fronts. Number one, he's going to stir up a desire that aligns with him. He's going to give you a will to do what pleases him. But he says it's not just to, to energize you to want something but he's going to energize you to have the capacity to do it. So the Holy Spirit's working at both ends. When you hear a message like this, when you're challenged by your pastor to connect in meaningful community and to get together and to share each other's lives, when you hear that, it's something resonates in your soul and the Holy Spirit's going going to create that sense of desire. I want to bless, I want to serve, I want to help. I want to walk with people. I want to invest in relationships. So the Holy Spirit is working you, working in you. It is God who energizes you both to desire and to have the capacity to do his good pleasure. So you're not on your own in this at all. But you will be on your own if you continue to say no. If you continue to give your list of reasons why relationships are hard, or why you don't want to connect with people, why you don't want to serve, then you're going to stay outside of that provision. Does that make sense? All right. Y'all getting kind of quiet on me in here. If you you sit around waiting to feel good about your obedience, you won't feel your way into it. Slowness to agree with what Jesus asks of you delays the provision of his power, but it also affects the health of your relationships. If you need to forgive, say yes and forgive. If you need to respond to someone's need and serve, agree with God and respond and serve. If you need to delay meeting your own needs so that the needs of others can be met, agree with that and then delay on your own needs for a while. I believe a lot of us get really proficient at praying what I call the prayers of procrastination. Someone says, okay, we need some help. That's this family that's hurting over here. We need some help. And, and so you, you're asked specifically about it, and you go, oh, I'm going to need to pray on that. That's a prayer of procrastination, <laughs> right? 
And then if you stay praying the prayer of procrastination long enough, you'll eventually master the prayer of avoidance. I just don't feel called to that, right? I'm going to pray on that for a while. Oh, man, I'm messing with you a little bit this morning. <laughs> sorry, kind of not sorry. I'm, not, kind of, I'm conflicted right now, actually. So, okay. Some of your prayers for the strength to forgive or the right attitude to clear up an offense are just subtle ways of postponing what you should be agreeing with and simply obeying. Do it. Do it. Agree with God. Do it. And he will meet you with every bit of strength that you need to be able to do what he's commanded. Right? Most of the behaviors people do that contribute to relationship troubles, messiness, are related to unmet needs. So if you, we look back at that replication list, again, Paul is listing relationship actions that help meet some of our primary needs as human beings. Consolation, encouragement, comfort, support, fellowship, affection, mercy. Being left alone in our pain and troubles, being unnoticed, left without help, companionship, and suffering under unreasonable expectations of faultless behavior or attitudes will send us looking for satisfaction of those needs along unhealthy paths. So some of the stuff that you see other people doing, and you kind of sit back and you go, well, they should not be doing that. They shouldn't be doing that. He shouldn't be dating that kind of girl. They shouldn't be hanging out with those kind of people. And all your folded arms should'ves and shouldn'ts for other people might be missing the fact that that person's doing things because their needs for companionship and support and care and mercy are not being met in the church. Sometimes we're judging the activity of other people when they've just gone off the path because they're not finding it in the church. They're trying to find the satisfaction of those needs somewhere else, in something else. All right, so Paul summarizes these community, I need to finish up here. So Paul uh, summarizes these uh, community building actions in verse four. He says, let each of you uh, look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others, right? So pay attention to yourself. Make sure you're taking care of yourself. If you don't have good boundaries in your life, work on getting better boundaries in your life, right? Uh, So take care of yourself. But you should also be paying attention to the needs of others. That's what community is about, right? To do this well, we'll have to get let go of a lot of resistance to seek healing and restoration rather than to run away from conflicts, to hold on to ways of communication that are encouraging rather than critical or demeaning or sarcastic, to manage my emotions rather than reacting to what I feel in the moment or using emotional manipulation to get what I want from others. So... Those things have no place in the church, and they're, anti, they're, they're anti-community. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to work on things in my own soul 
that make me the kind of person who can replicate what Jesus has done for me. All right, so we'll finish up with these three action steps. Building Jesus reflected and spirit enabled community is going to number one require that we acknowledge what God has and is graciously giving you. So you're, you hear this all the time gratefulness, thankfulness is so important to your spiritual and your emotional health, yes. right? Yes. Why is it important? Why do we get together and we sing songs about what God has done? Because we are, we are forcing into the lie field air of our experience the reality that God is at work, yes. that God is loving, and that God is moving by his power, that God is merciful and kind, and he's generous, and he's, and he's working for our benefit, and he's bringing about good in our lives. Why do we sing those songs? Because we need to be reminded about them. They're songs of thanksgiving and praise. Why? Because we need to be reminded. We need to say to my soul, David did that, soul, bless the Lord, right? right? So accounting for the fact that I've received mercy, I was a mess up, at least more than I am now, right? And God gave me mercy. I didn't deserve him to look past my faults, but he did. I, was, I, I haven't always wanted or, 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 or behaved in a way that God should have comforted me and encouraged me and walked with me, but he has. So that reminder, acknowledge what God has and is graciously giving you because that's then the well that you have to say, I can replicate this behavior into the lives of others. God has been kind to me. I'm going to be kind to others. God has been supportive of me. I can support others. God has shown me mercy. I can show mercy to others, right? Number two, that we practice the replication rule and live in a healthy ecosystem of community. Um, this is another point where I could spend probably another 30 or 45 minutes. Y'all have time for that? Uh, just uh, yeah. There's clapping over here, and my wife is going, uh-uh, uh-uh. Don't you dare. Don't go down that road. <laughs> So, um, but man, yeah, understanding that there's an ecosystem of community, there's giving and receiving, yes. right? And if you're always in the role of being the receiver, then you're messing with the ecosystem of the church. Yes. If you're always in the role of the giver and you're never receiving, you're going to mess with the ecosystem of the church, not just your own health and, and emotional well-being, but you're going to... You're going to mess with the ecosystem of the church. Balance out giving and receiving. Be intentional about connecting with other people's lives to bless them. And be intentional about getting in places to where people can bless you. They can speak truth to you. They can bring encouragement to you. Yes? Um, wow. Yeah, I wish I had another 30 minutes for that. But we don't. So here we go. Um, and lastly, trust in the Holy Spirit's provision for your steps of obedience, and guard yourself from building systems of reciprocation. So we remember we talked about the golden rule, which is that uh, uniformity of treatment where 
I'm going to treat people in the same way that I'd want to be treated. And then we talked about the rule of, of replication. So I'm going to take the things that God has given to me, and I'm going to give those away to other people. And, uh, but a lot of us try to live in the church, in the body of Christ, in reciprocal relationships. And that's where I've done this for you, so you should do this to me, right? So that will mess with, as I said, there needs to be a giving-receiving balance in the church. But if I'm not keeping myself connected to the supply from the Holy Spirit, my ability to exchange here is going to get messed up because I'll go dry here really fast, right? So I got to keep relying on the Holy Spirit to provide what I need to be able to help other people. Does that make sense? So if I, if I build a, a too tight of a, a reciprocation relationship, then I'm going to be looking to say, I, I served you, now it's your turn to serve me. Well, it may not be that person's time. It may be the Holy Spirit that's going to bring it through a different area, right? So we, we try to build human reciprocal relationships, and those get really ugly and, and destructive fast, right? So... I live in this trust of the Holy Spirit provision. I'm going to be obedient and trust that the fish are being like schooled up and ready to go to be able to meet this, this need, right? And at other times, it's going to come through other people, and sometimes it's going to come through completely unexpected forms and sources. I love seeing this church because of all the young people up here, right? Right? blessing us, leading us in worship. And so sometimes we say, okay, well, they play an instrument, so that's good for them. But what if that 16 or 17-year-old came up to you and said, I believe I have a word from the Lord for you? Would you be as willing to receive that? Some of the most, one of, one of the most profound prophetic words I've ever received was from like a 14, 15-year-old girl at a youth camp. And it didn't come out with, thus saith the Lord, and all polished or whatever. It was a very humble, quiet, I had to like strain to listen to what she said. She was nervous about talking to me as a pastor and sharing what the Lord had given her, but it profoundly impacted me, right? So God will use whoever to bring about that blessing, that encouragement that we need. So the reciprocal relationships is, Pastor Courtney has to do that to me. I pay my tithes here, for goodness sakes. Give me a word from the Lord. Come on. You hear me? Holy Spirit. Trust the Holy Spirit's provision for the steps of your obedience. Guard yourself from building systems of reciprocation. Yes? All right. Now we need to pray. It's like two minutes to 12, so I, I, I did okay. All right. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your word, for the work of your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for what you're breathing into the life of this church at this particular point in time. And your call for, for us to live in more vibrant community with each other is not, um, it's not just a nice thing to do, Lord. But it's central to your plan to bring about the glory of your gospel in this community. How will other people know that we are your disciples 
that we love each other. That we support each other, that we're encouraging each other, that we're standing by people who are suffering, that we are walking alongside individuals that are confused. That we're investing our lives in each other. Trusting you for the supply of our yes. Yes. And Father, I pray that you would give the faith and the courage in every person in, in their soul right now to be able to say yes to you. You're calling this church into a deeper place of community, of living connected, serving, blessing, encouraging each other. And Lord, we just set aside all of our excuses and reasonings and all of the yeah, but excuses. And we say yes to you, Lord. I agree. I agree that you want me to pay attention to my own interests, but also to be mindful about the needs and interests of others. Yes, I will. I agree that the body of Christ needs people who are encouraging and comforting and supporting, merciful with one another. I agree. I say yes to you, Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, Lord. Thank you for the promise of your Holy Spirit's power to support our obedience to you. We surrender ourselves to you, to your goodness and to your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Jack.